0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Already...
0: Okay. You are listening to America's Home for Stadium News and Information. Stadium's USA Radio. Once again, with your ticket to the action. Here's Bill Hazen. <laughs> Would you believe it? The baseball season is getting underway. We'll talk about it with ESPN baseball analyst Tim Kirchin, who shares his ideas on how today's ballpark experience has changed. There's turmoil on the frozen waters of the National Hockey League. The game is suffering from ice inconsistencies. We'll go north of the border to chase down the story with the Ultimate Hockey Show's Liam McGuire. This is the time of year when basketball fans assemble at Assembly Hall, Indiana University's one-of-a-kind basketball arena. It's been renovated, if not fully fixed. We'll look at what's new with IU beat writer Terry Hutchins. And Jeff Schmidt sits in for Mark Madoran. Jeff reports the city of San Diego may have found a stadium sugar daddy, but the timing is off. But first, the stadium's beat with Jeff Schmidt. Jeff?
2: Well, the head of the organization overseeing operations of the Minnesota Vikings U.S. Bank Stadium has abruptly resigned. Minnesota Sports Facilities Chair Michelle Kelm-Helgen stepped down after being pressured by legislators after she disclosed that she hosted friends and family in luxury suites at the new stadium. Kelm-Helgen and other stadium commissioners have been criticized for using two of the 18-person luxury suites for matters other than stadium marketing. Joe Louis Arena in Detroit was the site of a tribute for Red Wings owner Mike Illich, who passed away last week. The Red Wings played a video tribute, and a Mr. I logo was painted on the arena ice. Under Illich's leadership, the Red Wings won four Stanley Cups and made the playoffs for 25 straight years, a streak that continues. Milwaukee Bucks officials have developed a virtual tour to allow fans the opportunity to get a taste of what a new downtown arena will look like. The new venue will feature the ability to see the game or a concert from any vantage point in the arena. Nearly 75% of the concourse will be open to the bowl of the arena. Even while waiting in line at the concession stand, fans will be able to view the action. The new Bucks Arena is scheduled to open in 2018. And the prestigious Army-Navy college football game could be played in some high-profile baseball ballparks in the future. Both Fenway Park and Yankee Stadium are among the bidders for the rivalry game. The annual Service Academy contest has previously been held at NFL stadiums, Philadelphia's Veterans Stadium and Lincoln Financial Field and Baltimore's M&T Bank Stadium have hosted the most recent games. Others bidding for future contests are the Meadowlands in New Jersey, Gillette Stadium and FedEx Field, the home of the Washington Redskins. Bill, that is the very latest.
0: Okay, Jeff, thank you. There is a hot topic making the rounds on the frozen waters of the National Hockey League, and it leads to an icy conversation about ice quality. Is the ice good or isn't it? And it seems, maybe it's just me, but this year there have been a huge number of complaints among players, coaches, fans even getting it. What about the quality of the ice in the lake? Well, we're going to go to the go-to guy who's going to tell us all about it, Liam McGuire. We've had him on as a guest before, and he does the ultimate hockey show in Ottawa, and we don't just want to go part of the way. We want to go the ultimate way. So, Liam, as always, <laughs> we're reaching out to you and uh, just uh, what to make of all of this. How serious is the problem?
1: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head right off the top. It's it does appear to be more of an epidemic than ever before. And I have to think that the Barkley Center being probably at the forefront of where optically we have seen so many issues. It does appear, watching the games, uh, conditions where... I know I'm looking at the games and I'm going, for God's sake, if they froze the puck tonight, I mean, it's bouncing around like a rubber ball <laughs> and looking at it wondering what the heck is going on. And I think the Barclays arena given that it wasn't even built for hockey and all of the consternation and and absolute confusion that seems to be on that on a go forward. We've kind of gotten used to over the years to understand that Madison Square Garden in New York is a 365 venue that is used exclusively for events not related only to hockey. And because of that, the arena and the ice surface at times not always the best. But now we're seeing it. In some cases, uh, parts of, uh, for example, Canada, where you're just not expecting to see that. And, you know, these old rinks that ran with the brine and the ammonia and the piping systems Mm. and everything else for decades, seemingly with pretty good ice, now have built these new, what we largely call white elephants, but are absolutely spectacular buildings. And are they having issues to some degree with how they built these things? Because, and I don't know this, but is it somewhat possibly because... That to generate the revenue, they need a whole lot more than a guaranteed 41 home dates. If they don't make the playoffs, that's it, that's all. That leaves 320 days left in the year, so we better make sure we can do other things other than just have great ice. And I wonder, with all these new arenas, if this is somewhat what's led to the problem.
0: Liam, I think the problem has been increased at the Barclays Center even beyond what we would normally figure. We already know, obviously, that the Nets are playing their home games. The Brooklyn Nets play their home games in there. Right. But also, the NBA Development League this year only is playing all of their home games in there. That's another 24 games on top of the 41-game regular season load on the basketball side. But you're looking at 60-something games, and then you're looking at the ice situation. So I would say if there's any place where the problem is really focused, the Barclays Center is
3: it.
1: I, I totally agree, and I was in the Wells Fargo Arena in Philadelphia three weeks ago. I worked the Flyers' 50th anniversary uh, weekend, which was absolutely spectacular. And I flew in Friday and I went over to the arena to go through some logistics. And, of course, they're, they're setting up for the 76ers game that night. And they're throwing the boards down on the ice, right? I mean, this is something we all know how it goes and, and, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And I understand, look, the boards come up and they do this in record time. They have to. They, it's the transformations that have to happen today to accommodate pro sports. I get that, okay? I fully get that. But, you know, I'm an old rank hand myself. I, I'm, a, I'm a former Zamboni driver. I worked in an arena in a small town, but I understand when ice goes in and goes out the process. I understand what you do when you want to leave the ice in and put boards down for a function. I can tell you straight up, and this is decades ago, so imagine now that when you're taking off those boards and even though you put the plugs on and you get it cleaned up and you get it ready for hockey, you can't tell me it's got the same texture if you're having guys skate on this literally short number of hours later, it can't be the same. And I don't know where the line is. I think your show is very topical today and talking about it and wondering because if we're seeing it and fans are starting to mention it on social media and the players are complaining like never before, at what point does the league step in and say, hold on a second here, the cons are outweighing the pros.
0: Liam, it is great to visit with you. You have a wonderful enthusiasm about you. I can see why everybody loves your show, The Ultimate Hockey Show in Ottawa, and you can get that on streaming as well, so you don't have to be just in the immediate area. Liam, thanks. Have a lot of fun.
1: That's uh, such my pleasure. Call anytime, please. Continued health and success, and thanks very much for having me
0: on. Well, it is a pleasure indeed. Liam McGuire, our guest. Now, coming up... We talk with ESPN Baseball tonight's Tim Kirchin. We'll discuss some of the favorite parts throughout baseball, and that is next on SB Nation Radio.
2: How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit FanEssentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit FanEssentials.net to get all of the essentials you need.
0: Baseball season is underway and man, that is strange here in Chicago considering how long the last season lasted. It was incredible. A once in a lifetime situation obviously with the Chicago Cubs and when we turn to baseball we think of Tim Kurchin, the revered Major League Baseball analyst on ESPN's baseball tonight. He is also a columnist, accomplished author. We do have a little bit of background in common. Uh, the ships passed in the night in Dallas. We were both employed by the Belo Corporation. He was across the street from me. But, uh, Tim, it is great to see you. You know, I wanted to ask you, when you get out of your car and you get ready to go into a stadium, uh, do you have a little bit of the sense of excitement still today that you had as a young person when you first got exposed? to the game?
3: Uh, Absolutely. I still love going to the ballpark. The ballpark is where I am most comfortable. And my son, who's a radio guy now, he does morning talk radio in Cleveland. He worked at a minor league ballpark uh, for a minor league team several years ago among other internships. And I asked him, you know, what did you like most this summer? And he said, I just love being at the ballpark. And that's the way that I have felt for basically my entire life.
0: Tim, you've covered a lot of beats. Why did baseball stick so strongly for you, say, compared to something, maybe basketball? I know you're a big basketball fan also.
3: Yeah, I love basketball, but I grew up in baseball. My dad was a really good player. My two brothers are in the Catholic University Hall of Fame for baseball. This is the language that we spoke growing up. This is the only language we spoke, and my dad had such a good feel for the game and such a love for the game that he taught us how to play it and how to be around it and how to recognize it, and it's been with me since I was just a little kid, and of course, I went to Walter Johnson High School in Bethesda, Maryland, so it's uh, <laughs> it's hard not to try to make a career out of baseball when you go to a school named after the greatest pitcher of all time.
0: What major league stadium gave you your first exposure to the game? Where did it all start?
3: Well, when I was a kid, of course, I grew up in Bethesda. The Washington Senators played at RFK Stadium. And RFK Stadium was born in the early 60s. And at the time, it was a state-of-the-art ballpark. That was the place that I went to see the majority of games when I was a kid, I know my dad took me to Griffith Stadium once, but I was too young to remember that. But RFK Stadium is where my first uh, memory of going to a game is. And it was a great ballpark back then. The Senators were my team. And it was still quite a thrill for me that even though the Senators left and moved away, you know, left for 34 years, when they came back as the Washington Nationals, they played at RFK Stadium. And it it was quite a thrill for me as, a veteran baseball writer to go back to RFK Stadium and cover games when I saw so many games there as a kid.
0: How have baseball stadiums changed? How has the fan experience changed? Perhaps a couple of things in your mind that are really different from the game today as a fan experiences it in one of our more modern stadiums or one of the renovated stadiums like Fenway Park, Wrigley Field, the older ones that are well renovated. How has the experience changed?
3: Well, the biggest change has been when Camden Yards became a ballpark and so many other ballparks kind of followed that trend of building an old-time kind of uh retro ballpark that really brought you back to the past and, you know, didn't have AstroTurf and wasn't that big concrete donut that we were looking, you know, that we saw so many times in Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and St. Louis and other places. To me, that started the trend of let's put some real character in these ballparks it started with camden yards and then of course it went with san francisco and seattle and pittsburgh and so many other gorgeous ballparks out there to me that started a great new trend so now when people ask me for my favorite ballpark i have to separate them into the old time parks fenway and wrigley especially and then the newer parks whether it's camden yards or pittsburgh or san francisco um, they have to be in two different categories because they're so different, but they're both great in their own ways.
0: Tim, what baseball park do you miss the most that is no longer online?
3: Well, I think I'd miss Tiger Stadium the most because of the history in that ballpark that Ty Cobb actually played in there, and that, that really means something to me. Um, I just love the location of it. I love that overhang in, in right field. If you remember, you could, you could stand under a fly ball in fair territory thinking I'm going to catch this ball (laughs) and the upper deck kind of jutted out over the, you know, the field and a, a catchable fly ball could land in the upper deck for a home run. And I actually experienced that. I actually got on the field once to see that, how it actually worked at tiger Stadium. That's one of the stadiums that was taken down that I say, boy, I wish that had stayed a few more years.
0: How is the game that fans go to the ballpark and watch? How is it fundamentally different, if in any way, from the game of our youth?
3: Well, I think the game today is much more of an all or nothing game. If you look at the number of home runs that were hit in 2016, it was the second most home runs ever hit in a major league season. And yet the strikeout record was broken again, and I believe this is nine straight years we've set a record for for strikeouts. So to me, the AstroTurf, let's move the ball around, let's steal a bunch of bases, let's use our speed, that has been replaced by let's see how many home runs we can hit. And in hitting so many home runs, uh, we get an awful lot of strikeouts. So to me, that's the biggest difference is Without AstroTurf, without speed guys and speed games, uh, it's become much more of a power game, much more of a swing as hard as you can in case you hit it. But if you miss it, uh, there's a good chance you're going to strike out.
0: Boy, this last year, the Cubs and the Indians put on an unbelievable show in the World Series. It was great. I think everybody really enjoyed it. You want to do a little thumbnail sketch on these teams moving forward into the next year. I know the fans are very excited about both of these teams. And uh, what's the prognosis for both of
3: them? Well... It's spring training and there's nothing guaranteed in baseball. One of its great beauties, but I think the Cubs are the best team in baseball. And I think the Indians are the second best team in baseball. I just saw the Indians recently and some of the people they added Edwin Encarnacion and the people they're getting back from injury, including Danny Salazar and Michael Brantley. I think that really puts them as the best team in the American league and a, you know, really interesting club and a really good club moving forward. The Cubs lost quite a bit. Dexter Fowler, their center fielder and leadoff guy included, but they're awfully good and they've got something built that's going to last, I believe, a long time.
0: Hey, I just want to thank you so much for being with us. It's great to visit and uh, great to catch up uh, over a number of years. Our ships were passing in the night down there in Dallas. But a hearty congratulations on a wonderful career and continued success.
3: Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure being on.
0: Tim Kirchin our guest, and you can catch him all over ESPN. Coming up, we look at the week's stadium headlines, and that is next on SB Nation Radio.
2: How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan prices start at just $34.99. Visit FanEssentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month.
0: Well, it is time to talk shop once again as we examine this week's stadium headlines. And for that, let's welcome in Jeff Schmidt, the executive producer of Stadiums USA Radio. You know, stadiumsusa.com is your one-stop shop for stadium news and information. It's all available at stadiumsusa.com. Well, Jeff, here we go. The chargers are long gone out of San Diego. The boat has left the pier, but apparently the news is traveling rather slowly. A developer has stepped up with a plan. Uh, Timing is rather unusual (laughs) here, to say the least. What he calls an alternative stadium measure for San Diego. What is the story here? Because it would appear to most... Most of us as observers, the horse has left the barn, hasn't it?
2: That is true, Bill. Look up the 405. You can still see the tail end of the horse <laughs> leaving San Diego County. Bolting for Carson, California, it's almost as if with this with this news, San Diego is the new leverage spot for the NFL now that uh, L.A. is no longer an option. San Diego Union-Tribune reporter Kevin Acey, who's been all over this story since the get-go, says developer Doug Manchester has contacted the NFL – about his desire to build a privately financed stadium on the site of Qualcomm Stadium. Uh, The developer says his group can provide immediate alternatives for the Surprise Raiders. In the event that their deal in Las Vegas falls through, although we've heard many people in San Diego County saying that's not going to happen, we're not going to cheer for the silver and black uh, in San Diego. The developer, Manchester, reiterated to Goodell the project will not require voter approval. There's been no response from the league on this. I guess we'll just have to wait and see how serious an offer this really is. Bill, this is crazy. It's crazy.
0: Speaking of the Chargers, Jeff, we know what they will be charging for tickets during their first season in L.A., and here's a little hint for you. When you go out, bring your wallet. What's the story?
2: Well, despite playing in what will be the NFL's smallest stadium, the one in Carson, the Chargers have unveiled a ticket plan that ranks as, at the very top, the priciest in the NFL. The average ticket will cost approximately 192 bucks at the Intimate Stub Hub Center. Wow. Compare that with the $104 average that the Rams charged last season, their first in uh, Southern California. Best seats in the new house at the new Chargers home will cost 375 bucks per game those are midfield seats directly behind the chargers bench cheapest seats in the end zones will cost you about seventy dollars a game but once again will provide you with some pretty good sight lines of course the big draw for the chargers will be the unique opportunity to watch pro football in the most uh, smallest of settings of course thirty thousand the chargers are accepting one hundred dollar deposits for a spot on that season ticket wait list and those deposits will also give fans priority status uh, when it comes to purchasing tickets at the new Inglewood Stadium. Of course, that is the venue they will uh, share with uh, Mr. Stan Kroenke.
0: The Arizona Coyotes are skating along, Jeff. They are looking for a sugar daddy, and perhaps they have found one here in the Arizona legislature. You can't do better than that. That's some real money there. The Arizona legislature is sponsoring a bill to help fund a new venue.
2: Where did this come from? Once again, another crazy story coming out of Phoenix. The team could receive $225 million in financing for a new venue, either in downtown Phoenix or the East Valley. Senator Bob Worsley, he's a Republican from Mesa, sponsored and pushed through the bill. The Coyotes are not happy at their current Gila River arena the bill would allow the creation of community engagement districts. These sound like uh, basically taxes that will be shared, generated within these districts that would pay bond debt Mm. for new sports or entertainment facilities. There is some thought that the bill uh, could actually benefit the Suns and Diamondbacks, who we have heard in the past on this program. They're Uh, dissatisfaction with their respective venues so we'll just have to wait and see the bill only passed out of a transportation and uh, technology committee it likely heads to the senate rules committee before a floor vote but uh, the closer you get to the west coast the crazier the stories get when it comes to financing for these venues
0: (laughs) all right jeff let's uh, jump in the wayback machine here and look at some important dates in stadium history
2: All right, here you go, Bill. This week in 1937, the NFL's Boston Redskins announced they are moving to Washington, D.C. They will exit Boston's Fenway Park and move to Griffith Stadium in our nation's capital. They will play at Griffith Stadium for 23 years before moving into RFK Stadium and eventually, their current home, FedEx Field. And this week, 1953, baseball's Philadelphia Athletics changed the name of their ballpark, Shibe Park. They now name it Connie Mack Stadium, named after their longtime manager. Although many at the time refused to acknowledge the name change, a metal plate was placed over the Shibe Park inscription written in a stone on the stadium wall, but many still called it Scheib Park. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, many not too happy with Connie Mack. And before we get out of here, Bill, one other item, maybe the most popular part of this segment, our segment known as Stadium's USA Trivia.
3: And uh, there used to be a
2: ballpark Where the field was warm and green. And with that, Frank Sinatra plays our new uh, intro theme music. Here you go, Bill. You ready to go? Yeah, I'm all set. All right. This is going back a ways, and this one doesn't sound easy. Name the site of the third ever NBA All-Star game played in 1953. Was it Madison Square Garden in New York? St. Louis Arena in St. Louis, Hmm. Allen County War Memorial Stadium in Fort Wayne, Indiana, or the well-known Boston Garden in Boston, Massachusetts.
0: Oh, man. Well, you hit me on something that I know the answer to this one. Allen County War Memorial Coliseum came online in 1952, just one year early. It was a brand-new building, and the NBA couldn't wait to put it in there. That was the old Zollner Pistons, as you may remember, that played in Fort Wayne, and uh, that's where it was held.
2: You have been there. I I look forward to this because uh, you are very right. It was in uh, Fort Wayne. George Mikan was the MVP of that game. And as you mentioned, 52-57, to Fort Wayne was the home of the NBA's Pistons uh, before they would move to Detroit. There was a lot of things happening at that arena back in the 50s. We mentioned the All-Star Game. 55 and 56, the NBA Finals were played there. The Pistons uh, played the Syracuse Nationals one year and the uh, Philadelphia Warriors another year. You know that area well, Bill. Obviously, a strong basketball legacy.
0: Yeah, indeed. And you know what, Jeff? They've kept that building up. It looks more beautiful today than ever. It's a beauty. Nice, nice. Good trivia there, Bill. All right, very good. Jeff Schmidt. Joining us, sitting in for Mark Medoran, We Talk Shop. Stick around, everybody. We head to Indiana. That is basketball country. We'll take a trip to Assembly Hall in Bloomington with Hoosiers beat writer Terry Hutchins. That's next on SB Nation Radio. And uh,
2: there used to be a ballpark where the field was warm and green.
0: When last we left, Assembly Hall in Bloomington, Indiana, a lot of work was being done on it. We've talked an awful lot about this building because of its historic nature and its extremely unusual design. There has never been a building built like this one. We're going to visit with Terry Hutchins, who covers the Hoosier basketball beat and has been doing so for a long time. He writes for the CNHI newspaper group. He has also authored several books about IU basketball. Well, Terry, the last time we were talking about this building, uh, a little while back, they were having trouble keeping everything up on the ceiling, actually. Uh, the uh, building drew a lot of headlines at that time. Then they undertook a very large project to try to uh, make some changes. Just exactly what were the changes which were made to Assembly Home?
4: Well, there were several things. The entire south lobby got a big facelift, and, and you really notice it from the outside now. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you, can, you can see into it, and And it it looks more like a modern arena from the south side, and that's really where where you see it the most. Before, when you would walk into Assembly Hall, there you would walk into an area and you'd have a ceiling above you, oh, I don't know, seven or eight feet, and then you would walk into the main area, and, and it would go up, you know, quite a ways, but not not way up high. And now it does; it goes. I don't know the exact measurements, but, uh, you have the feeling when you walk in that this is an enormous space and, and you didn't really have that before. You know, you had ramps to each side that would take you up to the, uh, upper level. Those have been replaced by escalators in the south lobby. And then they have all kinds of state of the art touchscreen social media type things where, you can look back at the the best IU players of all time or, or whatever the case may be, you know, kind of bells and whistles kinds of things have suites now that uh, are on that next level um, above you as you walk in on the South lobby. And then the other thing is, is that you have doors, um, glass doors now that actually lead out to the arena where you would step down the steps and, and, and end up going into uh, to the main level of the arena.
0: When you go inside the arena itself, Terry, what could they actually do related to the design, unless you were willing to spend hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars there?
4: The whole challenge for Assembly Hall, and I remember, I mean, you, you said I've been covering IU for a long time. Well, my first season covering IU basketball was a 1998-99 season, so mm-hmm. this is 19, 19 years, and... I remember when I was first covering them and talking to the athletic director at that time, Clarence Doniger, who had, who said that uh, they were looking into what could be done with Assembly Hall at that point. And the whole question was, you know, do you rebuild and start it over? you blow the place up and start over? Or do you renovate? Um, because uh, it, it needed to be one or the other. And the problem with rebuilding and starting over is that the footprint of IU Athletics, um, where the building is located adjacent from Memorial Stadium and, and now adjacent from the state-of-the-art Indiana basketball practice facility, Cook Hall, which is connected to Assembly Hall, they really didn't want to be anyplace else. And so if they were to blow it up and rebuild it in its same place they were thinking it would take two years and there there really wasn't an option of where they could move the games for those next two years without going to Indianapolis and that would be 45 minutes and Mm -hmm. having to commute the uh, nation's largest student section 45 minutes uh, north for 17 home games I have a feeling would have been pretty expensive.
0: But they do recognize in some way that there are problems here, because you'll hear coaches, you'll hear fans particularly that just love the place as it is. But I have a feeling, and what you seem to be indicating is, that if you talk privately, kind of off to the side with the folks who work with this place every day and know about it, they recognize there are problems there, do they not?
4: Oh, sure. I mean, again, you're talking about a building that was built in the, the early 1970s, you noted at the beginning that it's a structure that really has no other building that really compares to it. The balconies, for example, uh, balconies hold about 3,000 people, You know, 1,500 or so on each side. And the problem in the balconies is that you have this feeling that, and it's just a, a very odd sensation, but... You get the feeling that if you lean too far forward, you would topple onto the playing floor, <laughs> which is impossible. But it's just the sensation that you have. I remember sitting up there even before I, I covered Indiana basketball when I maybe went to games when I was younger and having that feeling. And so, I mean, that's the, that's the one big thing. And then uh, there are also challenges with, with some of the – uh the viewing spots in in different places. But the arena has such a, a home court advantage for Indiana that they really wanted to find a way to preserve it in any way they could they opted to uh, renovate rather than do anything drastic
0: with it. All right, very good. Well, Assembly Hall is online in its renovated form and uh, seems to be getting very good reviews. Terry, we want to thank you for the visit, and uh, good luck the rest of the season with the Hoosiers. Have fun in your travels. We caught you on the road uh, for this interview. Uh, Have a lot of fun, and uh, we'll uh, see you down the road. All right, take care now. A pleasure. Terry Hutchins is our guest. Terry writes for the CNHI newspaper group, which includes a large group of papers in the state of Indiana. That's our program for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Bill Hazen saying, stay tuned. We have a full day of sports coverage coming up on SB Nation Radio.